Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning we're continuing our summer sermon series that we're calling More to the Story, Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. And in this series, we're looking at some of the most incredible stories of the Bible, these incredible acts of faith, these heroes, ordinary folks, terrible failures, and the miraculous acts of God. And as we visit these stories, we're hoping to find some of the details and meaning that perhaps if it's familiar to you, you missed the first time around. If it's new to you, that you will find incredible relevance for your life today. And together, we will see how all of these stories have always been pointing to the hope that we have today in Jesus Christ. So if you're interested in hearing and getting caught up on any of the other stories in the series, you can catch those on our podcast or our YouTube channel, PCTR. And Jay. Well, later this month, my family and I, we're going on vacation, and one of the things that we're going to be doing on vacation is going camping. And as we've been preparing for that, I found myself thinking about some of those scary stories that we tell around campfires growing up. And it prompted me to look into a, a scary story, a local scary story, that I didn't really know a whole lot about, the story of the Jersey Devil. And you all may know it well, but I guess it's been around for 250 years or more. This kangaroo-like creature with a face of a horse, the head of a dog. It's supposed to have bat-like wings and this like almost dragon-type tail that lives out in the pineys and occasionally creeps out and terrorizes southern New Jersey. And to this day, you got to protect your chicken coops and your cropland and your animals and all those things from the Jersey Devil. Well, the story we're looking at today is kind of like one of those scary stories we would tell growing up, but come to life. Because in the story today, Israel, the people of God, is facing a monster, a giant, a giant literally named Goliath, who the scripture we already read this morning told us stood six cubits and a span. Now, I'm sure that was really helpful for you. You know, and you realize because I'm about four cubits high, that gives you some perspective, right? He was over nine feet tall, and he had this bronze coat, uh, bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. And really, the only reason that's relevant is because that's just to tell you how strong he was, that he would just lug an extra 125 pounds around with ease. He had this giant javelin and spear and helmet on his head, greaves on his legs. He was a giant of a man, truly, and he was called the champion of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are the arch rival, arch enemy of the Israelites, constantly battling one another. And in our story, the armies find themselves on opposite hills with a valley between them. And every day, they'd come out of their camps, line up on these hillsides in their battle lines. And every day, Goliath would come out, and he'd step forward and challenge Israel. And he'd demand that they would choose a man and have that man come out and fight me. And if 
he wins, then we will be your subjects and servants. But if I win, if I kill your champion, you will be the subjects, the servants of the Philistines. And, and for us, this may kind of seem like a whole weird story, like it doesn't even make sense. Why would they do this? Well, it's actually because they had a high value for life. They didn't want to unnecessarily spill blood, and so representative warfare like this was not uncommon in the ancient world. Now, I think they typically figured that it would at least be a fairly evenly matched fight, right? Like, like fighters or boxers or MMA fighters kind of in the same weight class, where they'd have roughly the same height, the same weight, the same stature, but it is clear that there is no equivalent, no match for Goliath. But every day, for over a month, Goliath would come out with the same taunt, the same challenge, defying the ranks of Israel, demanding that they send out a man to fight. Now, understandably, Saul and the Israelites, were told, are dismayed and terrified. See, they knew that they were overmatched, that they had no chance. And it was making them begin to feel hopeless and helpless and afraid. And this morning, I wonder if you have ever been there, if you have felt that way, if you've been in a spot where you knew you were overmatched, where you knew you didn't have the resources to adequately rise to the situation, where you knew, and so you were starting to feel hopeless and helpless and terrified. I mean, I think the reality is we all face giants of various sorts in our lives. Probably not a person standing nine feet tall in the air, but maybe a person who's constantly belittling you, rejecting you, cutting you down, disrespecting you. Maybe your giant is a relationship, a marriage that you are fighting for but are struggling and doesn't seem to have a lot of hope. Maybe it's the giant of feeling estranged from your parents or from your children and there's no healing of this relationship in sight. Maybe it's the giant of your health that you have done everything you and the experts can think of and you're not making any progress. Can't defeat the giant. Sometimes we face the giant's of loved ones in our lives struggling so much and we are totally helpless to get them through it, to help them overcome it. We face the giants of loneliness and isolation, addiction, shame, sin. The giants perhaps for you is just the state of the world that we're living in today. Maybe that's enough to make you feel dismayed and terrified. Or maybe it's just the giant of fear itself which some of us are carrying around like a weighted blanket, an extra burden constantly to carry. And every day Goliath would come out with the same challenge and the same taunt, and maybe you feel like you wake up every day with the same challenge. How do we respond? Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, and into the story enters David. So that's where we're going to pick up our reading this morning, is in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to jump back in in verse 20. I invite you, if you'd like to, to follow along on the screen, but let's listen together for God's Word speaking to us this morning. 
Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it, seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took, his hand, took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, "'and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals.' David said to the Philistine, "'You come against me with sword and spear and javelin.' But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you add your blessing to the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would use it to speak into the very real circumstances of our lives, as some here are facing giants, feeling overwhelmed. Lord, may you speak, and may you guide us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So David enters the story because his dad, Jesse, has sent him off to the battlefield to check on David's three oldest brothers. So David arrives, he drops off his supplies that he's brought with him, runs out to the battle line to check on his brothers. And as he's there, the same thing happens. Goliath comes out with the same taunt, the same challenge. This time, though, David hears him, and he's indignant. He can't believe what he's hearing, and he can't believe what he's seeing because the Israelites are running. So he starts to engage the soldiers in conversation, asking them, what's going to happen? What's the king going to do for the one that kills this giant? Really implying that he's going to do it, so the reward is going to be his. And the soldiers can't believe what they're hearing now. They, they hear what they think is this arrogance of this young boy, David, the youngest of seven brothers. And so they run off and tell the king. Well, Saul sends for David, brings him to him. Now, I'm not sure if Saul is curious because this is nuts, because nobody else is volunteering as tribute for this moment, or if he's hopeful that maybe this could be possible. But whatever it is, David's first words to Saul are, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. And it's kind of like, what? Are you kidding? David, we've been at this for over a month. Our hearts were gone a long time ago. We've lost all courage. We've lost all hope. And it's a little late for your pep talk now. But David presses further and says, I'll go fight him. And I think Saul's reaction is, a lot like our reactions when we survey a situation that's too big and we survey the resources available to us that our eyes can see and our minds can understand. And Saul says, basically, that doesn't make any sense. You're just a young man, and this giant of a man has been a warrior since he was a youth. <laughs> but David is not deterred by any of this. See, David's life experiences have brought him to this point and have prepared him for this moment. David tells Saul that he was the shepherd in charge of his family's flock, and when a lion or a bear would come, it was his job to protect the sheep. It wasn't like he could say, well, oh well, lost one. This is their livelihood. He had to protect them no matter what. And so he would go and he would hunt down the lion and the bear, and he would kill them. And, and we, again, may not really understand this. We may think this is a little bit nuts. Why would he go risk that? It's the livelihood of the family on the line. And so he needed to take that risk. But David had been prepared for this moment with Goliath because of what he had experienced in the past. He had fought lions. He had fought bears. And he has a courage that is forged in what he has already been through. Malcolm Gladwell is a journalist and an author, and he at one point wrote a book called David and Goliath, the subtitles Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And he says this about courage. He says, courage is not something that you already have that makes you brave when the tough times start. But isn't this how we often think about courage? It's an either-or situation. You either have it or you don't. It's something you are inherently born with, or you just aren't. But based on all of his research, he says, no, no, it's not something that you inherently have or don't have. He goes on to say, courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and you discover they aren't so tough after all. 
Courage is what you earn. That becomes a part of you when you have gone through a trial, a hardship, and you have come out on the other side. When the thing that you thought was going to overwhelm you did not overcome you. When you have survived the attack that you thought was impossible to survive, you start to have courage forged within you. It becomes a part of you. So that when you face another situation, another giant that feels similar, you've got courage on board, rooted in your past experiences, just like David. So it's a matter in those moments of remembering, intentionally remembering, what it is we've already come through. But where Gladwell stops short, because he's not actually interested in applying the point of the Scripture, we need to press in. We need to tease out because David is not just remembering the reality of what he has overcome as if he's saying, you know, I fought the lion, I fought the bear, so I can fight this giant too. No, he does acknowledge that he did those things, but he says this very clearly, it's the Lord who delivered me from the lion and from the bear, and it is the Lord who will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. And so for us, Courage is not just rooted in what we've overcome and been through. The courage to face the giants today is more about remembering what God has brought us through, how he has acted in those situations where we saw no way out, the giants that he has overcome in the past, so that when we face the giants today, we remember what he's brought us through. Because I'm confident that many of you have already walked through situations that were impossible, that you've already faced giants, and God showed up, and he brought you through in a way that you didn't necessarily think was even possible. And if you haven't had that experience, then maybe this morning, right now, is the time to invite God into the battle that you're facing and find that it's not just you that has to muster up the strength and the courage to push through, but God will provide for you, will show up for you, will even fight for you. And so we remember as a source of our courage for today. And so David is so brash and so courageous that even Saul is willing to let him go. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? This is representative warfare. And he's like, okay, I guess I'm convinced. You go. You can represent us. Go, and the Lord be with you. But before David goes, did you notice what Saul did? Saul gave him his tunic and then loaded him up with armor and helmet and weapons and all these things. Well, See, David's just a boy, and Saul, we find out earlier in 1 Samuel, was chosen as the first king because he was literally taller, a head taller than everybody else. Like, he was this specimen. And so can you imagine David, this young boy, trying to to wear the tunic of of Saul? Like, it, it just won't fit. It won't fit David's frame. But what struck me as I was thinking about this this time, is that Saul gives David his tunic, gives him armor, gives him a helmet, gives him weapons. He gives him all of these things that were already in Saul's possession. And these were the things that they were already in his possession. Shouldn't they have been the tools, the weapons that would have given him courage and confidence to go out and fight Goliath? And Saul's kind of like, yeah, no, no, no. it'll work for you though. Take my stuff. But it didn't work for him. Didn't work for Saul. 
because he didn't have the courage. And I was thinking about this. I think this happens in our lives frequently when we're facing giants there's, and, and we're lacking courage. There's a lot of well-intended people that come around with ideas and advice. It may not be actual physical armor and tools, but they've got a lot of ideas of how you can overcome your giants. And, and so frequently they'll say things like, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, easy for them to say, right? Because they're not walking through your shoes. They're not facing the giant that you're facing. And I understand it's intended to be kind. It's intended to remind us, hey, you've been through a lot of things in the past. Don't worry. You're going to get through this too. But man, it doesn't often very help very much. Or just, you know, you just need to do what will make you happy or do this or, or, or do that. And I, it's intended to be helpful, but we find it's not helpful at all because it's based on their experience, their insight, their resources. And the giant is just too big. And I think Christians can be especially guilty of this kind of advice giving and actually can be incredibly harsh and unkind with one another when facing giants. See, because Christians can say things like this. They'll say, "What well, if you just, just pray about it, just, just trust God. And so, so really what you're telling me is that my prayers right now are insufficient, that my faith I clearly, I guess I don't really trust God is what you're saying. Because what you're saying is if I trusted him enough, if I prayed enough, if I gave enough, worshiped enough, served enough, if I did it right, then God would intervene for me and I wouldn't face these giants and I wouldn't feel terrified and dismayed. That's what you're saying, right? It may not be what we intended to say, but it's what we say frequently. And it ends up being the paradigm that many of us are living in. Just put this armor on. If you do, then God will come through for you. And it doesn't work. It frequently just heaps more shame and guilt on top of that sense of feeling totally overwhelmed and overmatched by the giants. And so perhaps we need to consider carefully the advice and ideas that we would give because Saul had this great idea. But Saul also wanted some of the credit here. See, I, I didn't know this, but as I was researching this week, that it was generally believed in this day that if you put on somebody else's clothing, something of their essence was actually transferred to you. And so Saul is giving him his tunic, and in that moment, Saul knew, this was their worldview, that it was assumed that something of Saul was transferred to David, so that if David somehow came on top and had this victory, then Saul could really claim the credit because he gave him his essence that was sent out into battle. <laughs> and David is pretty immediate in his rejection of this entire situation. It doesn't fit me. This doesn't work. It's not going to work. Your solution, your idea, you getting the credit, me getting the credit, none of that. Only God is going to get the credit for the victory. So he goes out with no armor, grabs his staff, takes five smooth stones from the stream, and takes his sling. And in our modern sensibilities, we're like, this is ridiculous. But it wasn't totally ridiculous. This was a normal weapon of the ancient world. This was a normal weapon that, and so David was used to using this weapon. And so he went out and approaches the giant. <laughs> and Goliath sees David coming and, of course, is insulted by the whole thing. What am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. <laughs> and David is so quick in his courage to talk back to the giant. 
No, you're coming with me, at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the living God of the armies of Israel. J Goliath, you're trusting in traditional weapons and power. I'm trusting in the faithfulness and the power of the living God. Because David knows that God will not allow his reputation to be tarnished. Because that's really what's on the line here. It's not David, it's God. And the same is true for us. If you've hitched your life and your hope to God, to what Jesus has done for you, then as you face giants throughout your life, it's not your reputation on the line. It's the reputation of God. And God will not allow his reputation to be spoiled. He won't share the credit, the glory, or the honor when he defeats the giants in your life, but it's also his reputation on the line to overcome the giants. And so David courageously taunts him. No, 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 you think you're going to feed my flesh to the birds? No, no, today your entire army is going to get fed to the birds and the beasts of the earth because the Lord will save me from you. And so we finally come to the moment that most of us are familiar with in this story as David puts a stone in his sling and starts to whip it around his head and releases the stone. It embeds itself in the forehead of the giant, and the giant comes crashing down dead on the ground. David runs and cuts Goliath's head off with Goliath's own sword, and the Philistine army runs. It's like, wait a second. A minute ago, it was representative war. You were going to be our servants. What happened? Oh, that was a good idea when you were sure you were going to win. I see. And it's easy to get to the end of this story and say something like, just be courageous like David and trust in God, then you will overcome the giant. But what about when we're struggling with our faith? What about when we have doubts and questions and fears? Does that mean that we automatically are going to lose to the giants in our lives? See, I think this is where the real hope of the story comes in. Because this is an amazing story. This is a story where you know, we get to see that God raises up a champion. And he raised up this champion on behalf of the Israelites and Saul. So often in stories, we like to relate to the characters. And in a story like David and Goliath, we're like, yes, I want to be David. I want to be like the hero. But what if, what if I'm really Saul? What if I'm the Israelites? Well, the good news for us, if we are terrified and dismayed like they were, God raised up a champion, a young boy who would be their hero. And they benefited from his victory. They didn't contribute anything to it, but they were the beneficiaries. And God knows. He knows that we want to be like David. We want to have courage to face the giants in our lives, but sometimes all we bring to the table is fear and terror and dismay. And the good news for you and for me today is that God would raise up another champion, another hero, many years later, a young man who would grow up and he would be a king in the line of David, Jesus the Christ that he would come and he would conquer the giants on our behalf. And rather than triumphing through his power and his might, he would overcome by sacrificially laying his life down to the point of death on a cross. Courageously facing our enemies, but allowing his blood to be shed so that we then could receive a victory. We could be forgiven 
so that we could be set free from the real enemies. And then when he rose from the dead, he triumphed. He had this victory over sin, over the devil, over fear, over death, over injustice, over evil, over all the things and the giants that we face day in and day out. To the point that we can have a courage and a confidence that even if today you lose to the giants that you're facing and they overcome you today, the resurrection gives us a hope that someday the resurrected king, the resurrected warrior champion will return and he will give you back all that you have lost. He will, in fact, overcome all that you have failed to overcome, all that has dismayed and terrified you. He will conquer on your behalf. And so... Our courage to face the giants today (laughs) doesn't just have to be about you mustering up some sort of courage from deep down inside of you. It can be based on remembering what God has done for you in the past, raising up a warrior champion king who died and who rose so that he could overcome the giants that you face. (laughs) 